Hello, everyone. This is Michael Jaco with Unleashing Intuition Secrets, the podcast. Join us as we reveal how you can become the master of your reality. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Jaco with Unleashing Intuition Secrets. Have Ole Demagar with us again. Ole, so we were just talking before the show. Uh, there's, you know, it's very interesting what's going on in the world. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we can learn from the past that can influence, you know, how we see what's happening in the future coming. So one of those is the JFK assassination. You have given us a lot of insight on that, and there's still much to be learned about that. What do you, what do you have to say? I find that uh, event extremely important because I feel that the world it the world took a major turn to something dark that day on the 22nd of November 63 uh it was like a almost like a coup de, a global coup d'etat it looked like an assassination but it was so much bigger and after that uh, that these shots were fired there were so many operations that got started that led to the Vietnam War, Vietnam War on the the American part, because that was a French war, but the Americans got it was it was Johnson who before JFK was even buried. I mean, he signed the the documents that really got that off the ground. So this has killed millions of people, uh, and including about fifty five, fifty four thousand American lives, it, not counting all the suicide that followed. The same power structure has then moved forward, pushed the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll uh, through Laura Canyon. The whole hippie movement was also part of it. It's very bizarre. Uh, the assassinations of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, all of that, the same forces, the same individuals that were in the background, Che Guevara, they were, and then it was followed by many military coups in the in South America, same people that took over there. Mm. Uh, and uh, and then loads of assassinations in in Africa and Europe. Uh, and then we got the next chapter, which was 9-11, same structure, power structure in the background, slightly different, but many of the same players right there in the center of it all. And then with all of the wars that followed that. So it's like, are you kidding me? Like what? So it's one thing to see the very brutal death of one individual. That's one thing. But mm -hmm. then what has happened in the world and what is still happening, that's the same power. To many agrees, it's the same structure, the same family, the same ties, stuff like that. Now they're hiding behind multinational corporations and, and shiny skyscrapers, but it's the same. It's the same. So that's why... Someone like me have been really focused on finding out who actually did it, who pulled it up, who could cover it up, who benefited from it, and are they still active? Because if so, I think it would be a good idea to find out who did it. No doubt. And so, mm -hmm. many, 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 many years ago, I, I got started, and the thing that got me sort of on this tr track or trail into the unknown into the abyss in many ways was a shot that was fired behind the picket fence in Dealey Plaza, Dallas, Texas. And that shot was the one that just within, it was the first time, went from the very first time that I saw 
the Sapruda film that filmed the assassination of JFK. It took me about 18 seconds. It was in night. I I know it the exact moment when I when it happened. Sort of when I sort of snapped into what I'm doing now was uh, when I watched that movie and it, or that uh, amateur film sequence. And it took about like 22 seconds for me to figure out somebody must have been standing in front or to the right because the way Kennedy's head was thrown backwards and right. to the left. I mean, it's just normal physics. I'm a simple-minded man. I, you know, one plus one equals two. That's it. That is it. So when somebody tries to cover it up and say that one plus one equals 122, I have no idea why they're trying to, why they're saying things like that. I just know they're lying. That's it. And so it was that exact shot, boom, from behind the picket fence where the official story to this very day, I mean, come on, mm-hmm. after all of these days, years, still up sixth floor, takes a school book to Postory. And so I knew whatever else was happening that day, this is based on a lie. And here I am 43 years later, and now I'm in direct touch with the one that pulled the trigger behind the picket fence. That's, that's incredible. Because when I went, I went to Daily Plaza a few years back, actually just before uh, January 6th, uh, you know, when you, you, you told me the day before, they're gonna, you're going to have a false flag. And I was like, ah. But I, w- I was there just a few days before that. It was my first time there. And I remember standing behind that picket fence, and I'm like, something, somebody was here. Somebody pulled it pulled the trigger right here behind this picket fence. I felt very strongly about that. And here you are, you're talking about that's pretty cool. Yep. So it is for me, it's like full circle. Mm-hmm. Very bizarre to be communicating directly to this man who is now 81. And uh, I want to tell, his name is uh, James Files. He was born uh, James Sutton. But uh, um, right after the uh, assassination of Olaf Palm, no, sorry, of uh, JFK, he changed his name. He was only 21 when he was uh, there, and he was he was only asked to to step forward as a back, uh, backup shooter just an hour or so before the assassination. He was absolutely not involved in any planning. He didn't know anything about anyone else involved, except for the guy that he brought to Dallas. Uh, his name was Chucky Nicoletti who is one of the other shooters, but he has no idea. He's never been interested in finding out anything. So I'll tell you about how this whole thing got started. And uh, yeah. So for many years, I was so focused on trying to find out the truth about what happened. And I, I very quickly understood that it's so much more than just one shooter, because once you start hearing the testimonies the, from the witnesses. You start seeing the damages in the in the motorcade, the limo, the number of, of gun wounds to both Kennedy and Connolly, the angles, the whole shebang. It's like, this is, this is just the official story. That is just bullshit on steroids. Not a single true word. So what actually went down? And over the years, I've been digging into this for thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. And now I'm very, very close to the center of this. I'm a, I'm a very dear friend of uh, Judith Ferry Baker, who was the mistress to Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. 
have we if we haven't done a show about her i really would like to do that about the how uh Oswald and jack ruby clay shaw and other people were involved in uh, creating a bioweapon against Fidel Castro in New Orleans. Have we done a show about that? Um, I think we've, we've touched on that, and you talked about how the CIA was into, like, injecting, like, cancer. And no, it's, like it's, yeah, it's, it's, a massive, it's a massive story, so I would be super happy if we can do another show about that. All right. Because her, her story is an incredible piece of the the this jigsaw puzzle mm. because the 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 JFK assassination is so multi-layered so difficult to understand by design it's a masterpiece when it comes to a military type ambush i tell you that absolutely superb horrible yet superb uh, in its brutality the way the layout the i mean the preparation everything was uh, Whoa, really, really incredible that way, the way they pulled it up. But there were multiple, there were shooters all over the place, if I'm correct. Yeah. I'm, very few researchers agree with me. There you go. I don't, what can I say? What I found out over all of these years is a more complete picture, I think, than anyone else. So I think that is also, I think we did a show where we went through all of the different shooters and yeah. the, who were the drivers and, I haven't seen that anywhere else. Yeah. I do believe that I'm correct. I hope so. Uh, but anyway, so in uh, 1994, I think it was, there was this man called Jimmy Files that were he was in prison, I think in in Illinois, in a high security type of prison, very very violent prison, and from there. I started hearing about uh, that there was this Dutch, Dutch uh, uh, investigator. His name was Wim Dankbar. I met him once. He looked me up in Holland when I was speaking there once. And Jim Mars, uh, this beautiful friend of mine who unfortunately passed, I mean, incredible researcher, author, and also one of the ones behind the movie JFK. Absolutely incredible uh, human being. They went to see this prisoner in uh, they're called Jimmy Files because he had s started to claim that he was the shooter behind the picket fence for no benefit of his own and turning his life into hell. You know, so why did this person do it? Uh, and it came to a point where even Oliver Stone went there three times to try and, and get him to be filmed and offer him to be paid. And Files said absolutely not because he didn't like Oliver Stone. He's very much like that. You know, so he didn't do it for money. He didn't do it for fame. On the contrary, so it turns out that uh, it's a long story, but uh, it was it was actually through an FBI guy that uh, he was transporting Jimmy Files through Dallas in the seventies, and uh, when they when they passed through Dealey Plaza, Jimmy said sort of like not really starting a conversation. He just said. My God, if the American people only knew what happened this here. And that thing got this FBI guy to sort of like, that was such a weird thing to say. So he was looking into it, and it turns out that the CIA had been aware of Jimmy Files since 64. So um, 
so anyway, so uh, a guy called Joe West became very interested. And through this FBI guy, he was directed to Jimmy Files. So Joe West, without understanding that he was actually one of the shooters, he was just, he knew that he was one of the people that was somehow involved that day. So he, he went, uh, he started uh, contacting Jimmy Files and he said, absolutely no, I don't want to do, have anything to do with you. But it, they, it slowly, 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 they started uh, getting closer and Jimmy Files really liked and respected Joe, uh, Joe West. Uh, so in the end, I think it took several years before Files start, slowly, slowly started saying, yes, I was there. And he, re he drew a map over Dealey Plaza. He said, I'm going to put a cross here. That is not where I was. The day I really trust you and whatever. And also, he I think he was looking to get, uh, uh, what do you call it, amnesty? Is that mm -hmm. what you call it? Yep. Uh, do you know that that if there was some way to get him so that he, if he admitted that he would be protected, mm -hmm. you know? So... As far as I remember, uh, I'm sorry, I might say a few details that are not exactly correct, but more or less like that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Jimmy Files also started talking about that the headshot was fired by a Remington Fireball 221. It's, mm -hmm. it's a special, uh, it's a specially designed weapon by the CIA. It's like a rifle, but it's a pistol. So it's, it's got a rifle grip, but a, uh, the barrel is very short. It can fit into a briefcase. It's called a fire, uh, Remington Fireball, and it was uh, developed by the CIA in the early 60s, and it went on market in 64, I think. So some people claim, oh, he's saying he used that weapon. It wasn't on the market before. Yes, it was. The CIA was uh, testing it together with Remington for a few years. So um, anyway, so the, the ammo, Jimmy Files, told Joe West that the ammunition that was used for the final headshot was a special ammunition that was prepared by a guy in Chicago who was a, he was a weapon sort of fixer for the mob. Uh, he could do anything, you know, when it came to weapons. And so uh, he had prepared these bullets, especially special bullets, because the fireball had this problem when it came to assassinations that uh, the the impact of the bullet sometimes did not enter, sort of the bullet didn't enter into the skull because it was a 2 2 one, um, maybe not powerful enough, so it sort of ricocheted off the head of, of some of the victims. So, so... Um, uh, yeah, where's a Remington fireball here? Yeah, there you Here's go. A, it's a very odd... It's a big round. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what the Jimmy uh, what he said was that the ammo used was uh, this two to one, but that this uh, this individual in uh, in Chicago had drilled the top of it, filled it with mercury, and then waxed on top of it, meaning that on impact it would completely explode, oh, hollow point, and yep. then yep. yeah yeah hollow point, but extreme boom like that. Mm -hmm. So he had uh, uh, so he said if you can get the body of JFK exhumed, I think it's called, you know, out of the ground again, yep. you know, the, the head will be, the skull will be packed with, uh, with uh, mercury mm -hmm. because of that whole thing. 
Right. And so Joe West was in the process of getting, he took it to court to get the body exhumed, you know, so to be, uh, because that would then prove that there was a shooter in a different position than Oswald. It would prove that the official story was not complete or maybe not even true at all. Mm -hmm. It would take the whole Warren Commission, boom, and so very important uh, information. So Joe West went, he took it to court. I think he was almost at the point or maybe at the point where he got it uh, uh, approved. I think he even got it approved. And then he was taken in for a simple operation, not, nothing serious, uh, got out of the operation, was recovering, and suddenly complications happened, and he died. Hmm. So Jimmy Files just felt right away, oh my God, they took him out. And so he, this was a man that he had got really close to, and he felt so bad for his wife, uh, his, the widow of uh, Joe West as well. So he felt... I need to, I need to step forward. And also, in the meantime, when this this process had been going, he had he had been visited twice by Jesus uh, in his cell. This is a hardcore assassin, torturer, hitman for the mob. I mean, he was recruited. Uh, uh, he was in Laos when he was nineteen. He was recruited by George Bush Sr. into Operation 40. He was the first. To, he and uh, Luis Posada Carillas were the first two bad boys that got uh, recruited into this uh, Murder Incorporated mobile assassination unit in the early 60s. I mean, so he was as hard as they come. And... I don't know how many assassinations and murders and whatever he's been involved in. A lot, I can tell It's like he said, I was, uh, Operation 40 was dirtbags or douchebags or whatever. He said the worst of the worst, and he was the worst of them. You know, so that doesn't, uh, it's not a beautiful type of individual. But anyway, so while he was in uh, this high protection security, high security prison there one night. And at that time, his his daily life was, he was put in because he had been uh, put in an ambush where some civilian clothes uh, police officers really tried to kill him. And so he was defending himself and his partner, I think, died in the shootout. He didn't get hit at all. But there was like 36 rounds fired into the car or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. they drew these uh, civilian clothes police officer pull up side, side by side by the car and started firing with no warning, no identification whatsoever. And one police officer got shot. Uh, and uh, so Jimmy Files was put away for something he actually didn't do. He did so much other stuff that he was not sentenced for. But the one thing that he didn't do that was the one thing that put him away for many years behind bars. So anyway, his daily routine was to, he was so filled with hatred, and it was just a matter of, today, who's going to try and kill me? Who do I have to kill? That was sort of the daily agenda, the, the way he lived. And then Jesus came to him one night in prison. Very, very clearly, uh, he sat on his bed and started talking to him. This is Jimmy's story the way he experienced it. And uh, 
uh, he was not religious or anything like that, on the contrary. And then Jesus says, listen, the Father wants to call you home. So Jimmy thought, okay, I'm about to die, fine by me, I don't have a problem with that. But there was this thing, you have another mission, and that was more or less to tell, you know, to let love into his life and also to start exposing this whole thing the way I interpret it at least. So he, he, the first time Jesus was there, he was like, he completely changed overnight. He started becoming a friendly guy. Nobody had recognized him. What the hell is going on with files? I mean, like he's saying hello, you know, instead of trying to hit me in the head with something heavy, what is going on? And, but then files went back into the old way of thinking, became hard again. Jesus came back, said, listen, wakey, wakey. And so the second time, it really sort of started uh, uh, getting, setting its roots in him, and he started a completely different past. I don't know, but I've heard several of these people, real, real rough ones, uh, like monster-type individuals. They have a near-death experience. They have something like this or Jesus coming to them, and suddenly they change completely. We got Cody Snodgrass. We got other individuals as well, where it's just like completely life-changing. So we got one files before, one files after this happened. And then uh, he started to speak, standing up, also be in the name of his dead friend, Joe West. So he started standing up and saying, okay, I will now tell you the story. So in, the, in I think it was 94, he got filmed twice in the, inside the prison. Uh, Jim Morris was there, Jim Dankbauer was there. And he starts speaking in great detail about the assassination, what he did that day, what unbelievable to start with. I, I couldn't, you know, my, my, my understanding was limited for that part also with uh, Judith Verbeek until I met her. This is the understanding I had of, uh, of uh, JFK and the assassination and thousands of questions marks that, question marks that didn't make sense. You know, I couldn't understand why, who, then it didn't match up. Suddenly, Judith Barry Baker came in, boom, completely opened my mind to a whole, whole new level to this uh, assassination and Jimmy Files as well. Mm. So, so the more I looked into him, I tried to tell other people like Jim Fetzer and other researchers, high-level research, please look, listen, listen. No, no. For some reason, I don't know why, they're just not interested. They don't want to read his book. They don't want to hear about it. They don't know. This is it. And that, I don't get it. Anyway, so so I really started to study this guy, Jimmy Files, and he describes it in absolute great detail what happened that day and also wrote a book <coughs> called uh, Files on Kennedy. Files on JFK, I think it's called. Brutally honest. <clears throat> and this is a guy who has everything to lose, nothing to win. I mean, how to even stay alive inside prison saying things like that? That is sort of like, woof. So, sorry. So in, um, anyway, I really, 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 I never caught him with a lie, not a detail that was not true. Uh, Jim Mars also backs him. Judith Barry Baker also backs him. And so in 2016, uh, 
I, w I got a friend's request on Facebook by somebody called David Armstrong. So I was just like, before I accepted it, just wanted to check him out. And I saw these photos and I was like, whoa, that looks a lot like Jimmy Files. What the hell? <laughs> and and the, the place where he got, uh, the first time he sort of, I'm <laughs> sorry about this. The first place where he was uh, sort of uh, approached and informed about the JFK assassination was the Harlow Grill in Chicago. It's still there. Mm. It's a small little grill, hamburger grill. That is where he was uh, informed uh, about that the hit was going to go down. This was like uh, a while before. And so he, this individual, David Armstrong, had taken photos of himself outside the Harlow Grill. I thought, whoa, not only do you look like Jimmy Files, you're standing outside the Harlow Grill so I wrote in the comments, you know, like in the in the comments down there, I said, is that you, Jimmy? And I just got back, yes. Wow. <laughs> I mean, for me, that was major. That was made. He's got a very specific look, you know, white hair, long hair. I'm sure you can show images of him, uh, photos there trying to shut it down. But uh, anyway, so... Uh, so I was like, oh my God, this is so bizarre and yet exciting. And, you know, because this is somebody who blew the head of the JFK and at the same time, an incredibly brave individual that I really admire for his, his backbone and stamina, where he's fighting to get the truth out there. The guy who tried to die, take it with him to the grave, that was his plan before this whole thing started. And and now he's really trying to do everything he can to get it out there. Unbelievable. So chup chup. So anyway, I started sending questions to him about what happened that day because he he was uh, driving Johnny Rosselli. One of the things he did in that then the, the after dawn on that day, he drove to Fort Worth, where uh, because Rosselli asked him to be a, his uh, sort of like a driver and and bodyguard. And so they drove to this uh, pancake house that in Fort Worth, still there. That one is still there as well. And, and they met this guy, this chubby guy that uh, Jimmy Files had never seen before. He knew Rosselli from other operations, but uh, he met this uh, chubby guy, Jack Ruby, in this pancake house. Uh, Files was sort of sitting in the background just uh, checking the exit, in, the doors, and that so no one would enter. And Ruby slid over a... An, uh, an envelope with what turned out to be Secret Service badges and badges, and also a map over Dealey Plaza. The route, the whole thing, uh, was given uh, in an envelope to Johnny Rosselli. Wow! And then boom, they drove back. But that's just one part of it. So, so I asked Jimmy Files about that pancake house. Where exactly did they sit? You know, because also I had the original is still there. It's the interior, everything is since more or less left untouched. So I started asking him, looking at the photos also to compare, you know, his story with the, just checking, you know, who, who, because you don't know, I don't know who I'm dealing with. So anyway, he was super accurate, super accurate. And so uh, we were sort of, on and off like this, and then suddenly 
I received a donation of $100 from Jimmy Files. That, that, uh, what can I say? Because I've been really standing by his side and what I've been trying to do for the truth to get out there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've, I've been a speaker in Dallas three times, uh, two times online, but uh, at the JFK assassination conference. And, and so I've really tried to back him. Mm. And so I got a donate. It's like very odd feeling. Sorry, Jimmy, but it, for me, very bizarre. Like, he shot him. I tried to expose. Now he's supporting me. It's like, and and this money, is that blood money or is it, and I, you know, like. I know, right? It, it really. It's almost like, like he's, it's like a relief. Somebody just finally figured it out. It's like, uh, you know, uh, redemption. Mm. I, I'm redeemed now. Yeah. I can, no. I can live, I can, yeah, but I can go in peace now. <laughs> I don't know, but, but I, I know also with Cody Snodgrass and other black cops that have done a, a lot of horrible stuff. <laughs> uh, your lamp just went out. Yeah. I turned it off. It was too bright. So I just go off the okay. computer light. Yeah. Well, you, your light is so bright on its own. <laughs> now, so, you know, one, one thing you brought up about the route. So someone in the secret service was sharing that information. That's like so top secret. No, 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 no. It wasn't uh, this, the secret service that, they, yes, some exactly, but this is like high, high level. And what they did was they, mm. they, it, this was the changed route, you know, where they went in front of the, it's, they're breaking all the security rules by going, taking a right on from Main Street to Houston Street. And then this absolutely infamous turn onto Elm Street, which is like a 230 degree left. It, that is, it just blocks everything and slows down everything and just yep. perfect for an ambush yep. and absolute nightmare for security. So mm. that was the thing. And they said this was changed way before. No, it was not. It was that day because uh, uh, Jimmy Files, who wasn't aware of anything, he just said, Rosselli said, oh, they've only made one change. Mm. Okay. So so anyway, I'm, I'm now back in touch with Jimmy Files. He's not doing well. He's uh, 81. Uh, he's not uh, health-wise, he's not doing well, but he's got a wonderful wife who is now Helping him also who has helped him the write two books, three books about this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I would very much like to tell his story today if you got time. And yeah, what he it. said. We got time. So Jimmy Files was uh, like I said before, he was uh, he joined the army uh, when he was nineteen. He went to Laos, and in Laos he became known as a very efficient guy when it came to headshots. So at very young age, he was already starting to kill people. And he also executed two of his own fellow soldiers, American soldiers, for, I'm not really sure what happened, but it was like uh, if they were trying to desert uh, or w whatever they, they did, but he killed them with two headshots. And so there was uh, there was a... A legal thing going on and there was uh, different stuff but anyway he was uh, 
if I remember right, it's been a while here, but he was recruited very early on, I think as uh, he, at the age of 19. It was Ted Shackley, the blonde ghost, who was later the head of the Western Hemisphere of uh, COVID operations. Uh, he was uh, uh, he was the guy that recommended him to David Atlee Phillips, who is the handler and controller of Lee Harvey Oswald and several of the other key players here also. So um, uh, he recruited Jimmy Files. So Jimmy Files, who was recruited by the CIA, but he was also, when he came back home from the war, back to Chicago, uh, he was really good at driving, you know, like uh, stock car races and stuff like that. He was also close to some of the mobster guys there uh, under the Sam Tiancana. And he was well known for being a very good sh shot, a shooter, you know, that he was a, a good shot. He could hit anything and he was fearless and so on. So there was this guy, a hitman for the mob in Chicago called Chucky Nicoletti, Charles Chucky Nicoletti, who was one of the henchmen for, for uh, Sam Giancana very sophisticated, quiet uh, in, uh, individual, but brutal, you know, very good at what he was doing. Mm. And uh, so he noticed how good uh, he was sort of noticing the talents of, of Jimmy here. So he recruited him into the mob. So he became the driver for Chucky Nicoletti, driver and bodyguard. So Jimmy, who started to adore Charles Nicoletti. He absolutely adored him. Uh, and so he, whatever Chucky said, he would do it gladly. And so Jimmy was his companion during many horrible things, uh, uh, many jobs that was done for the mob. And this fireball was one of the weapons that were used for at least two, I think two assassinations before Kennedy. So it had been tested out. And that was also where... Um, Jimmy was recommending changes to the weapon, to the CIA, you know, like uh, you should do this, this, this. And also he, that was also why uh, with the weapon thing, uh, with the ammo thing, that uh, he was aware of the, the, the weaknesses with this gun and so on. But anyway, so in, in 1963, I think uh, it was a while before, a month or so before uh, the, the hit, uh, JFK hit, Chucky Nicoletti comes one day at to the Harlow Grill where Jimmy Files was uh, sat, and he said, uh, listen, we're going to take out your friend. Because also Jimmy Files was involved in, in training the exiled Cubans, uh, you know, preparing them for the Bay of Pigs that turned into an absolute fiasco. But he was there. He also knew Lee Oswald from that time, you know, because they were involved in the same operations. Again, Castro prepare preparations against taking out Castro. That was the thing. So <clears throat> uh, anyway, so Chuck said, uh, listen, we're going to take out your your friend. We're, we're going to take out your friend, he said. And and Jimmy was like, he thought he was talking about someone else. And he was like, so what have you done now? What, have he, what has he done now? And he said, no, no, no. We're talking about Kennedy. And Jimmy, as so many of the other people in these uh, operations, hated Kennedy because they felt that he totally betrayed them. 
at the, the Bay of Pigs, left them to die there, left them to get massacred, tortured. They hated him. It's later turned out that it wasn't JFK that turned them, that uh, betrayed them. But anyway, that was their in, in interpretation of that whole thing. So he had not no feelings for Kennedy whatsoever. Hmm. So, so Chucky said, I want you to take this Chevy. He was driving around in a Chevy Impala Burgundy. Uh, and he, and it, that was already specially prepared. It had gun racks everywhere under the seats. You know, there were the rifles, uh, shotguns. I don't know how many handguns in this, uh, everywhere where you could have guns, there were guns in this, this car, which was a standard procedure for their normal operation. Mm -hmm. So... So Chucky said, I want you to drive this car, uh, load it up, but, uh, you know, camouflaged, load it up, drive it to Dallas, uh, go there at this and this date, drive only during daytime, slowly, don't get any kind of, uh, you know, don't let anyone observe you or see you do anything stupid, you know, don't drive at night where you can be, where you the traffic is less and you could be pulled over, you know, so make no impact. So anyway, so he did that. He was he was not considered a shooter at that time. Absolutely not. Mm. So he drove down and then he get got to Mesquite, Texas where uh, there's a motel called the Lamplight Motel. I've been there. I I've been following Jimmy in his tracks when I was in Dallas. Really interesting for me. So he stayed at the Lamplight Hotel and uh, he just reported in. Once he arrived there, he reported into uh, David Atley Phillips, his, his controller. And uh, he said, which he did on a daily basis, he was always, uh, so that Atley Phillips always knew where he was in case of whatever, you know, that was standard procedure. So he went there and he just called and said, I'm here. And uh, then the very next day, Lee Oswald appeared and he was like, whoa. But the way he saw it, the only one who knows I'm here is David Atlee, Phil uh, Atlee Phillips and Chucky Nicoletti? So, so he must have had he he must have sent Oswald here. They didn't they they knew each other you know like uh, not a lot but uh, they knew of each other. So anyway, so Lee said, "I'm here. I've been asked to escort you around in Dallas and show you different things. Whatever you need, uh, uh, great." Nobody mentioned the assassination. Nobody did anything like that. But it's like Files said, he needed to know the layout of Dallas, you know, all the streets, the one-way streets, uh, the, are there any train crossings, are there any, you know, red lights, anything that can stop uh, in, a, in a situation of emergency. If you had need to escape, it's not good to go where there's a train crossing. Suddenly there's a train coming and you are standing there with the, the people behind you that uh, could really... Uh, take you out, you know. Well, here's Chucky Nicoletti up to the left. You got uh, Roselli, Lucien Sartini, that's Badgeman, uh, who was uh, there. And Chauncey Holt was there that day. All of the, these guys were there that day. Wow. So, so anyway, so... So, so it's like it, it's the information's there. I mean, you researchers like yourself have been exposing all this. So the information yeah. there... I, I was also kind of like looking at... Uh, um, Where's he down here? James Files. Yeah, there he is. There yes. He is. And mm -hmm. they're saying that he might have been implicated. Is he also implicated in the Marilyn Monroe murder? Hello, this is Michael Jaco. 
If you want to learn more on how to unleash your own intuition, go to michaelkjaco.com, unleashingintuition.com, where you can find my courses on how to become the master of your own reality. Yeah, that is that is indirectly true, because wow. what he what he did was, um, yeah, this is I'm speculating now. I cannot sure. prove it. Yeah, but it seems like Marilyn was completely out of control at the end. Yeah, uh, you know, she was becoming this hysterical woman that had been let by both let down by both Kennedy brothers. She had a diary. She had been used as a as a um, uh, honeypot, you know, like sex, uh, sex slave, honey yeah. trap, mm-hmm. sex uh, toy for right. ma- many dictators, presidents, mobsters, you name it. She yeah, being passed around, being used as as a weapon. But and sh- what she had, she had a little diary where she was writing everything down, everything, everything, and information is deadly if in the wrong hands, you know. So she was getting completely out of hand, completely hysterical, and she was starting to make threats. She was calling the White House. She was saying, "I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. If you, if you don't, um, yeah, let me in again," because she had been pushed out into the cold. And so it seems, it seems. Here is my speculation. I can't prove it yet. That Jack Ruby, who was connected with Sam Giancarna, said, "Please, Sam." Deal with it. Deal with it. So Giancana uh, ordered uh, Chucky Nicoletti and two or three other mobsters to go to uh, Los Angeles and sort it out. We can do a show about Marilyn Monroe one day because that is oh, also good. multi-layered. It's not just one team. There's two teams on site. There's two ambulances. It's a whole... Wow. Doop, 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 doop. Anyway, but the the mobster part of it Mm-hmm. Was that uh, Jimmy Files, as the twenty-year, twenty, yeah, twenty, twenty-year-old, drove Chucky Nicoletti and the other mobsters to the airport in Chicago, where they flew to Los Angeles and was part of taking out uh, Marilyn Monroe. That was Jimmy's involvement. He he was not aware of. I don't think he he knew what they were going to do, but that was what they did. So he wasn't. But once again, he was the trusted driver. This was before the Kennedy assassination, you know. So he was; it was the same team. So back to uh, Lee and Jimmy. So they were they were spending a few days, I think five days in Dallas, where Lee was taking uh, time off. I mean, he moved in and out of the Texas school book depository, where he was positioned as part of this operation. And so he uh, he uh, helped uh, Jimmy understand the layout of Dallas, and also they were te- uh, he went out to um, an open field, uh, um, not far from the highway, where Jimmy Files could uh, uh, you know test fire the different weapons, uh, adjust the scopes, uh, everything, the ammo, everything checked out like that. And then on the day of the assassination. The, the night before is when parts of the hit team or the are coming from different directions. Some are flown in, some are coming from cars, uh, in cars, you know, from Arizona and other places being pulled in. And one of the places they stayed was the Cabana Motel, 
uh, owned by Doris Day and uh, her husband, where there was a mobster's place. That is where a lot of them joined that night. And you had also the meeting at the Murchison Ranch, Clint Murchison Ranch, where J. Edgar Hoover, Johnson was there, Nixon was there. Uh, a lot of these uh, big boys where they took the final decision, green light, let's do it. Wow. And everybody sort of signed more or less into it so that nobody could, you know, become a whistleblower without going. Wow. So even so Nixon was in on it. Wow. Oh God. Yeah. Oh yeah. So God. Nixon was in Dallas. He was there for Coca-Cola, they said, but he flew out in the morning, you know, and Bush oh. Kennedy, uh, Bush senior said that he went mm -hmm. to Fort Worth. Absolute bullshit. He was in yeah, Dallas. He was there. Yeah. He pointed and he out. was, he was the paymaster for Operation 40. That team of assassins that were most of the people that day were part of Operation 40, this mm. ultra-secret hit team. So um, anyway, in the, the morning of the assassination, it was rainy, it was a cold day in November, and that was where uh, Chucky said, please, uh, uh, Please drive uh, Rosselli. Rosselli was supposed to be one of the shooters. He was also a former mobster, Chicago mobster, but he was this uh, flamboyant guy that was sort of like the go between between the mobster, the mafia, the CIA, Hollywood, Frank Sinatra, these guys, the Rat Gang, the Rat, the Rat Pack, the Rat, the rat Pack. Sorry, yeah, the, he was sort of the the one in between. And he was supposed to be one of the shooters. But the, C the morning of the assassination, for some reason, the CIA said, it's a no-go. Let him go. Let him go. That was in, in the morning. And so Ronnie Rosselli was sort of like uh, freaking out. And he was also flown in by an abort team. There was an abort team that was being flown in that day that was trying to stop the assassination. This is what I'm saying. It's multi-layered, super complex. Also, where it becomes very difficult to know which shooter is part of what. Uh, is that the abort team that was trying to stop it or, the, uh, or uh, were they part of the assassination plan? So anyway, um, in the morning, files drove uh, Rosselli to, to uh, meet up with Ruby in Fort Worth. He got the badges, the secret uh, service badges and so on. Chauncey Holt, who was another CIA operative, and Major Forger was coming in also with with fake CA, no Secret Service badges and stuff like that, uh, which he, it's a long story, but he was coming in there as well. He is the guy that is called the old tramp of, in these, uh, the three tramps photos. It's Chauncey Holt is the old guy that many people have pointed out at E. Howard Hunt. Not true. E. Howard Hunt was there as well. Sorry, many names, but wow. there you go. <laughs> So anyway, so um, uh, Jimmy Files drove him back and dropped off Rosselli, picked up uh, Chucky, and they went to Dealey Plaza. So they started to scout the terrain, sort of. And uh, at that point, Rosselli was getting really scared because if the CIA had said it's a no-go and they, put, they did it anyway, he was sort of like, I don't want to be part of it, you know, like I, I don't know what to do. So he was in the Deltex building, but not one of the shooters. So 
Chucky and, and Jimmy was walking around that morning. They, they recognized quite a few other people from Operation 40 and other assassins. Frank Sturgis was there. Uh, Ruby was there. Um, Orlando Bosch, called Dr. Death, was there. Um, well, many of the other individuals, they were just like nodding to each other, more or less, uh, not knowing why are you here? Why am I here? You know, it's this com totally compartmentalized uh, way of operating these things as usual. But anyway, so they're walking around and then then Chucky said, uh, uh, would you consider becoming a backup shooter? Because Rosselli was just bagging out. And Jimmy said it would be an honor because he worshipped uh, Chucky. It would be an honor to, to serve you more or less and I'd be happy to. So he said... Uh, so Chucky was like, where would you, where would you positioned shooters here? Mm. And so he said, a low trajectory, you know, from the Daltex building was, would be a perfect one. It's like Jimmy Files said, Chucky already knew. He, it, it was almost like he was just like, you know, playing ball to just get a confirmation of what was already decided because he was, uh, he was just a driver type of thing. And then uh, Chucky said, but so where would you position yourself? And, and Files had been walking around. He said, I would go over there behind the picket fence. That would give good cover. There's a tree above. All focus would be on the motor cage. Nobody would be looking there. If any, they would be standing in front of the fence. You know, nobody would stand behind it. So he could be quite on his own there. There was a lot of parked cars as well that day. So he said also the angle uh, and the distance. You've been to Dili Plaza. It is only like 80 feet in total from the picket fence to the car. Yeah. It's a turkey shoot. It's like... Absolutely. Uh, so he said that that was where he positioned himself. Mm. Uh, and so Chucky informed him, we're going for a headshot. So... Uh, do not fire unless absolutely needed, absolutely needed, you know. So, <clears throat> okay, so they were getting close to the time of the shooting and, and Jimmy was uh, there behind a, a picket fence. He was uh, smoking a lot. These cigarette butts was found afterwards. Hmm. Uh, but with these type of operation, they know that they're untouchables, you know, because if any one of them go down, the whole thing can explode. So they know that they're protected from higher up, you know. So that's where some of them are really careless. Mm. So he was uh, smoking all of these cigarettes and just waiting, 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 completely focused on his task. You know, it's like he says, the only thing he was checking out was people around him, if they were carrying or, you know, like undercover cops or people in uniform, that could be a problem when he wanted to exit the area. Because he was, uh, he had a forty-five in his pocket, and he had the fireball, but he did not want to shoot anyone. He just wanted to get out. But so he was very uh, aware of who could be a, a future problem. So, so anyway, we came to a point where he saw the motorcade uh, uh, coming around. He had that at that point. He had turned his. Uh, he had like a um, silver type of color, shiny. A, a jacket that was like a little bit like a bomber jacket that was sort of quite in the fashion at the time 
but that had sort of you could pull it inside out so that the the inside was like it looked like a lumberjack shirt more or less so he had uh, he pulled it uh, the the inside out no he had the silver one i think on the outside the way it should be and then he had a, a what do you call it fedora hat he just like the ones the fedora like yeah. the, mm-hmm. fedora Fedora had just like Jack Ruby, that type of hat. Uh, mm-hmm. He had one of these as well. So he was without the hat. And uh, so he had the fireball in a small little uh, briefcase. Perfect. It's a little bit bigger than a briefcase, but leather looking like an office type of thing. But inside it, the fireball and uh, the six uh, uh, the six bullets, uh, you know, prepared by Wolfman in Chicago with uh, the... Uh, Dumb dumb type of uh, ammo. Mm-hmm. So, so he uh, once the motorcade started approaching and people started looking that way. That's when he pulled up the gun. Until then, he he did not because then everybody's focus was the other way. So he he had uh, calibrated the scope, everything. He had used the scope before to s- see if there was any sort of like civilian police uh, plain clothes, whatever you know. So he had used the the scope to do that. Now he just clicked it together, boom, and he was ready for action. And so uh, the motorcade turned around onto Elm Street and shots started being fired, boom, boom. Please notice silences as well, just because they didn't, uh, you couldn't hear the shots doesn't mean that shots wasn't fired. Mm. But some shots were fired also so that it could be pointed and blamed on Oswald. So, so he was... Uh, he he was uh, seeing Kennedy through the scope. He had been uh, ordered only Kennedy, not Jackie, no one else in the car, just go for Kennedy and only if it's emergency. So he was waiting for the absolute last second before he went into action because he was counting the shots, not as one, two, three. He was saying miss, miss, miss because he, he could see Kennedy was, was uh, hit by something from the front. He was going like this. And then he was hit from the back. So he could see that he had been hit, but still no headshot. So he was waiting, waiting, waiting. And then the motor cage, for some bizarre reason, came to an almost complete standstill in front of, right in front of him. And that's when still no headshot. And he zoomed in on the the right eye of Kennedy. And just a millisecond before he pulled the trigger, a shot hit Kennedy uh, in the front, pump, pushing his head front to the mm-hmm. front, and that's why he hit Kennedy right here, behind, sort of between the temple and uh, and the eye. Yep, he hit him right here. But I think there was even one more shot fired down from the the manhole, the stone cover. Yeah, the man, the stone. Yep. Dra- yeah, that's what I got too. So, yeah. so there was like multiple shots. There was Chucky from the back. Or someone from the back. He, mm-hmm. James Files still to this very day thinks that there were only two shooters. I beg to differ. Absolutely. But that just shows that he is only aware of his part. That's the thing with all of these operations. So anyway, so he waited to the last second. He, still no headshot. So he fired and he blew the whole head of Kennedy. And so um, they took off. Their photos, so you can see uh, Files also at the at the uh, 
behind the picket fence, you can also see there's, there's one photo where you can see the umbrella man and another guy sitting down. You can see that whole, if you look at the top of it, you can see the guy with the Theodora walking towards uh, mm. the Texas school book to post it. That's files. So anyway, so what he did was he just, as soon as the shot were fired, he went down behind the picket fence, turned his jacket inside out so that it looked like a lumberjack uh, type of thing, mm -hmm. put on the Theodora, um, put the firebox, uh, fireball into the, the briefcase, and then just straight walked straight because the the what they had agreed upon was that he, he had parked behind the Deltex building where Roselia and Chucker was in. He had reversed in so that they was very close to mm -hmm. the exit. That was uh, on the second floor in the Daltex building was a, a mining company controlled by the CIA. So they had been let into that office that was in control of the perfect angle. Wow. Where, where if I'm correct, the, the spotter, his name was Tony Izquierdo, and the man who let them into the building was a mobster from L.A. Uh, called Hale Braden, who was also arrested in Dealey Plaza afterwards, arrested. So wow. the whole idea was that uh, Chucky and, and Rossetti would come out from the, go straight into the car, put the, put the gun in the back, and then files would come, uh, not a word, just put the briefcase uh, behind the seat and take off, drive them down to a gas station and drop them off there. Hmm. And that is exactly what happened. He was, he was completely focused on just getting there without being shot, you know, so he was very aware of not being approached by anyone with a gun. He had his 45 in his hand or his pocket that he could p pull out and just uh, shoot anyone. But it's like he said, that was not what he wanted. And then he got in the car. He did exactly that. The only thing that uh, Chucky said was, I think you got a bit carried away there, which was, he uh, felt that it was criticism that he, he should not have shot but he, it was like he waited until what he thought was the very last second before he did it. And that was mm. what he was being ordered to. So also one thing that he did that was really stupid was that he, he, he loved the taste of gunpowder. And he had this signature in Laos uh, when he had killed someone where he took the, the empty shell and he bit it. He tasted the gunpowder and he bit it. And so he, that's exactly what he did. And he put it on the picket fence before he left. It's like he said, he was 21, absolutely, completely stupid. Uh, he said if Chucky had known it, he got, Chucky got murdered uh, right before uh, this big hearing in the mid-70s when they were really trying to look into these as different assassinations. And uh, so at the same time, when so many of them, Giancana and Rosselli and Chucky was also taken out in a in a parking lot. But he said that if Chucky Nicoletti today knew that he had left, the, he would be like rotating in his grave. But anyway, that, that empty shell was found about eight or 10 years later when they were re, uh, redoing Dealey Plaza. Somebody found the, the empty shell and they, they uh, uh, wow. compared the, the bit marks from, from uh, uh, Jimmy Foss because he had, I think he has a, false tooth because he's been beaten up and tortured and whatever. Mm. And it's a little like that. And it's exactly, it fits perfect to that shell. Wow. So that is another one that confirms Jimmy's authenticity. Authenticity. Unbelievable. So this is, this is amazing because I never knew, I, you know, we've talked before 
And I, I just thought it was like different groups of, you know, they hired like, okay, we got this mafia group and this group over here, former military and, but all these guys are mafia guys. No, it's a, it's a mix, but what is mafia? What is CIA? Yeah. It's like two different. And, and another thing I can tell you from my experience for, uh, being in protected details for the CIA that, um, we were trained and I, I'm sure the protective details for the, you know, secret service trained the same way. Cause we used to work with those guys too, is when their shots fired, that, that car goes in and it's like, boom, you, you mash the pedal. So those two guys that were sitting in that, that were secret service guys, they were in on it. No question. It, it is a very strange, Bill Greer and Roy Kellerman, uh, Bill Greer was the, the driver. Mm. I don't get it. I I really think that they were mind controlled because they were sitting in the line of fire literally from all different directions that they did not get hit. It's just, you know. Wow. So who, who in, in secret service on that level, how can you get to these people without something? And the whole thing mm. to come to a full stop, mm. it goes... Like you say, it's the exact opposite of what should have happened. As I never as even knew that. I, I was like, there's no way that I, I, I would have assumed from my experience that once the shots were fired, they're like, and whoever was fired was like really good shots. But no, they, they got to that point. The kill shot hadn't been done yet, so they stopped. He's in the kill zone. The shots are fired to kill him, and then they take off. I'm like, wow, these guys are in on that big time. Yeah, yeah, and... and um no, they, they really did it in in a very incredible way because also the 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 bubble top, the bulletproof bubble top of the motor cage. I mean, this was in November. It had been raining in the morning. So they a natural thing from a security point of view would keep it on, keep yeah. it on. Because yeah. this is a tricky area to to protect, you know. But what they did was for, for about a month before it happened, they started pushing uh, Kennedy's ego, saying, you should have, you need more protection. You know, you cannot be sure. And Kennedy bought it. You know, he swallowed the hook and said, no, I want to meet the people. I want to be, you know, so he did exactly what they wanted. Uh-huh. Because so they, they were manipulating him into his own okay. And also they wanted to take out the, uh, uh, what was his name? Ralph. Um, oh God, Ralph Rabori, uh, something like that. He was supposed to be in the car, but at the very last minute, they they got Connolly in instead. Oh God, I can't remember why, but Connolly. It was. It's another one, but uh, Ralph Yardbury, I think his name was. That was the guy that was supposed to be in the limo, so he could also be hit. They they really wanted him out as well, but something happened, and and I think it was Johnson who who pushed Connolly in on the car in the car, who I think was was aware of it as well. I believe that he was at wow. the Kent Murchison Ranch the night before, so he was not happy to be in that car, and that is also when the shots fired and he shots shot screamed, oh my God, they're going to kill us all. Not just, can, they're going to kill us all, you know? <laughs> yeah, that he survived was just uh, miraculous. But uh, John, Johnson, Lion Johnson, 
Lying Linden, as he, as he was called, he was in the car behind, and you can see he is on his way out before the shots are fired. You know, he's trying to get out because he knows. You can see the back door is open, and his bodyguard jumps on top of him and pulls him down. But Linden mm. was 100% in on it. Wow. 100%. Wow. And he, because most of these guys were going down, Linden was just about to be taken to court for a lot of things, including eight homicides, where one of them was on his own, uh, his own sister. He had an alcoholic sister that was speak, talking too much. So he had his henchman, henchman Mac, Mac Wallace, take her out, murder her. Wow. Uh, yeah. I never heard that. Jay, Jay, oh, my God. Who? Jay no, it was a matter of hours before he was going to go to court. And Jade Hoover was, he was about to go down, you know. So, uh, and now instead, JFK died. He was elected in on life, life, you know. And wow. uh, so many people had a lot to lose. Yeah. So this this mob connection um, in uh, Marilyn Monroe, that'll be interesting because we can talk about, I know that in um, Lake Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe, they had uh, a little cow, uh, Calneva. Cal Neva. That's right. Cal Neva. Oh, you know about it. Good. Because they had of secret course. tunnels and going, I guess, and Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio, John F. Kennedy. Yeah. John F. Kennedy went there. Yeah. So if it's a mob retreat and Kennedy's going there, he must have known these mob guys and they take him out. That's very interesting. Hmm. But but this is the world where you come into like, what is going on? No. Because you had... Be, because you had, uh, when Kennedy was elected, it was the closest race ever, him and Nixon. It wasn't this like landslide, whoa, that people think he was so popular. Mm -hmm. Not at all. It was super, super close. It was one teeny uh, live debate that made the difference because uh, Nixon was sweating and all over the place and Kennedy was really doing well. And But they at that point, Kennedy's dad, who was a bad boy, big yeah, one. he was crook, yeah. Uh, yeah, super crook. Anyway, he, he contacted the Chicago mob and said, we need some more votes. So the Chicago mob went yeah. around in the cemeteries and collected names, you know, but, yeah, of dead people. So, so Democrats Kennedy, are still doing that here in America. Wow. <laughs> so Kennedy was in debt to the Chicago, to the mob, you know. So Giancana and the other guys thought, oh, my, we got a, our guy in the White House now. The mm -hmm. door is open. Fantastic. But then Kennedy turned on them and put Robert Kennedy. Ah, uh, yeah. That's started a witch on, on the mob. Yeah. Because up until then, Jed Gahuba had completely denied that the mob even existed because they had him by the bolts retreat with very intimidating photos of him and Clyde Tolson, you know, and gay stuff and all, all types. So he was being blackmailed into silence. So the mob would thought that they were on the way into the White House. And then instead, Robert Kennedy started pursuing them like no one else before. In one year, the number of the verdicts against mob members went up 700%. Seven, it was like, like this. So the mob was like... No wonder they killed we, both of them. Wow. I mean, what the hell is going on? We helped you in and now this is what you do to us? You know, so they really started to hate him. But like you say, like Calneva, they got its name because it's right on the border between California and Nevada. So Nevada, that's yeah. why you can you can get all of the you know the uh, gambling uh, 
laws and stuff like that on that side of the building mm-hmm. and the other it's the best of two worlds so that but, uh, was, Frank that Sinatra was... owned that during that time frame and he was a Rat Pack like you brought up Rat Pack just briefly yeah and he so was we got the Rat Pack and the Rat Pack had um who's the one guy that was married to the Kennedy um one one of the Rat Pack uh, Peter 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 Lawford yeah yeah Peter Lawford yep and he he was very aware I mean he the Marilyn Monroe murder destroyed his life because he was, he was, he could have stopped it. it it's a it's a long story. Oh, we're gonna have a good discussion on that because uh, a lot of people would like to see the bigger picture on that. My wife included. She's yeah. she's very yeah, uh, for sure for sure. A lot of Marilyn Monroe fans, yeah. And so. Marilyn spent her very last weekend in there at Calneva. No kidding! Wow! Yeah. Wow! That's that's spooky, yeah. Yeah, because that Calneva has been for a long, long time has been shut down. All these different groups have bought it, and they were supposed to refurbish it. They never did, and they kept changing hands. They just changed hands. I think this year, uh, somebody else bought it, but it's been shut down for a long time. I think they're just like keeping it shut down for some secrets, or still probably still there. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, many times places like that. It's perfect when it's closed down officially because then it's closed, but it's not. Ah, then they can still do their little hanky-panky stuff there. And hanky-panky stuff here and there, and also mm-hmm. with the tunnels, where are they going, what is going on below. Right. Mm-hmm. These type of things, uh, often these uh, places are in a distance from, pop- I don't know, as far as I know, this is out in the countryside. It's absolutely not in a city or anything like that. You went there, did you? Uh, you can't go in it. You can go buy it because it's closed yep. down. But it, I mean, I could probably weird. sneak in there if I wanted to, but uh, yeah, I never go did. For it. Michael, exactly. Come on. Yeah, I I think I'm right now. I didn't know all this stuff, so maybe I'll I like to go on a visit. <laughs> like, but I, w- I would really like to make one about Marilyn, one about Robert Kennedy. I can ad- identify the polka dot uh, uh, these or these uh, individuals as well. That would be one? so good because we see Robert Kennedy Jr. that's running for president now. I'm very, I'm very suspect of him. So that'll be that'll be a nice reveal. Uh, see what you got on yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And then also, I would like to do. I know that we did one about uh, Martin Luther King, but yep. we came to the one where shots were fired against King. But I did not get into the area of James Earl Ray, how he escaped, how they were planning to take him out. Because uh, he was supposed to be suicide, no, not suicide, but killed on location. Do you know how that whole thing got messed up? And because that was not meant for him to do this escape halfway around the world, he was supposed to end up absolute dead on location when he left the guest house. But it was because Martin Luther King was always late. He was notorious for being late. And James Earl Ray, that didn't know what was going down, was starting to get really nervous on a parallel street, at, you know, where the guest house was, and just felt something is not right here, because there was a sniper waiting for him and a police officer waiting for. As soon as the shots were fired against uh, uh, King, boom, they were going to take him out. Whoa! Both with the same caliber weapon, one with a rifle, forty-five, one with a, so that it could be blamed on the police officer that would be hitting. But there was a sniper who stepped forward and told the whole story. Nobody listened to him. 
And uh, that that whole part of this also, how that went down, I would love to go into detail. So we yeah. could make like a series of these uh, these shows. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds incredible. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. So so let me go back. You got your that's uh, your website. Where where to have that up? Started to pull up so many windows. I uh, I think I lost your stuff. <laughs> let me let me pull it. Go back. So, Michael, also, I don't know, it's been a while since I've been on your show and a lot of sc is going on mm -hmm. here. Yeah. So if I could just share a vision that my Sweden and I are, ha have had for some 20 odd years. Mm -hmm. uh, we've, we've always been having this dream to live off grid in a beautiful house, uh, self-sustained in a place where we didn't know where, but somewhere nice when it comes to climate, tropical, something like that. But what we've had a, a dream to make sort of like a place where whistleblowers and change makers can come and stay and be taken care of, uh, pampered, well-fed, you know, um, interact and then get a kick in the butt out there and do good again. So we we had no idea where in the world this would be, except that I, I really like walking bare feet, so it has to be pretty nice and warm. Mm -hmm. And so... Once we came to Bali, we started seeing, oh my God, this could actually be the place. Mm. And so what we're in the process now of manifesting, and it's going really fast now, is a place that we call Selalu, Selalu, a haven for light-minded people, mm. light-minded people, light-minded friends, actually. So what we, are, what we are in the process now is to find a very... A, big plot of land where the plan is somewhere between 10 to 40 bamboo villas, these incredibly beautiful structured villas mm -hmm. where people can uh, handpick people, small ego, massive big heart. We're not into conflicts or a lot of conflicts or anything like that. Absolute beauty, harmony, incredible people gathered not as a group, not an organization. It's not a retreat. It's not a community. It's not a business. It will be like freehold villas, but in it with a, a, a bit of distance in between. So there's privacy. So it's not a matter of a walled-in community. It's a matter of that I can go down and have a coffee with, with Michael when I feel like it, instead of having to fly to the other uh, side of the world, you know. And also, when what we've seen is like you just take a handful of incredible individuals, put them around a fire, let them sit and have a beautiful evening, and there's all this creativity that just starts sparking off and networking and unbelievable. So the idea is to, um, to create this absolutely stunning area, stunning buildings, all of it, with where the cost here makes it possible for not only rich people, but you can have an incredible, incredibly beautiful place for a price, almost a, for the same price of a, like a one-room apartment in Star central Stockholm. It's like, you, it's like that. Mm. So we also want to have like a shala, a, a like a, where we can have um, uh, meetings, conferences, like for 200 people, something like that. You can yeah. come have retreats, uh, all kinds of things. Also, 
it will it needs to be in perfect harmony and balance with nature yeah. with the local population the local community we will also have a school for free english at, uh, sc uh, school teaching english to the local children here so that they can really get a better start in life there will also be a music studio uh, we will try to right. get like um, like really nice uh, high level musicians and others that to come here to, you know like stevie wonder feel free um <laughs> pink floyd feel free these type of incredible individuals because we need also to bring music together with this world mm -hmm. you know and, and other areas bring it together like this and music is and is an incredible way of reaching out there and also there will be like art studios and um, things in this small not small quite big area but um yeah it it is um we make this come true i tell you it would be absolutely stunning absolutely yeah. stunning we are not we don't have the funds ourselves but what we're doing is we are creating the vision boom we're we're fulfilling all of that the mm -hmm. funds will come if it's meant right. to be the funds will come let me just check 2 seconds if i forgot anything The same? Yeah. No, no, it's just that, uh, like I said before, but I repeated mm -hmm. that it would be freeholds. Like every, it was not be anything together. It was like everybody has their own responsibility, their own thing like this, so that it would be, you know, so that we will not sit in the middle and having to have all of these, uh, if anything goes wrong or whatever. Everybody has their own uh, privacy, their own life but it's just that the distance is close so uh, yeah yeah I, I saw sasha stone had a really 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 nice place there uh and i don't know if you know yeah. him but yeah oh god yeah i know sasha well uh okay. and and that is a place but it it has not succeeded the way i think it was planned no he he got uh pushed out because of uh covid uh and i don't know what happened to that place but it was pretty stunning. I saw some pictures where he was walking yeah. around there. No, he, he did a lot of shows there and stuff. So yeah, it's pretty. I've been amazing. I've been speaking there several times, and uh, no, oh, wow. it's beautiful. And it's the same type of bamboo constructions that we're right we, that you have envisioned. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see. I can, it, that's why I run. No, yeah. we have. Uh, we've already found the architect who is one of the leading ones here on the island. Absolutely mm. beautiful individual. Wow. And the, the, uh, it's just like breathtakingly beautiful, these mm. these things. Yeah, they really are. So, yeah. yeah. So Potential uh, there is, like you're saying, is pretty stunning. And your vision, I think, you know, because you're like not quite sure, and now your vision's really starting to lock in. I think you're, I feel confident you're going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, being involved in it some some capacity. So I think a lot of people will be. Because uh, that's that's a great vision, and I think things are starting to move in that direction. So the old the old world, the old control systems are starting to fall apart, thanks to mm -hmm. you and I and some other people who starting to have been exposing those, bringing the mm -hmm. awareness to people, and they're they're waking up, and that system can't go forward. And the systems that we're creating, like you're mm -hmm. uh, envisioning right now, are going to be the future. So many have similar dreams. So many are talking about the same type of things. Mm -hmm. What we want differently is not to have a community not to have meetings deciding stuff 
you know, like voting about uh, garbage or whatever, you know, yeah. like who's doing that and, and why are you not doing that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it will be, it's not just a matter of getting people with money on, on board. That is, you know, money is not enough. It needs to be, like I said, small egos under control, very big hearts. Otherwise, we won't be able to create what we what we want. It will it will start, you know, yum, 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 and then I've right. seen it so many times. It starts, it it comes and goes like yeah. this, boom, boom, and that is not what we want. Selalu actually means always in Bahasa Indonesian, always. So it's always a haven for light-minded people. Ah, good, light-minded. Beautiful, beautiful. So yeah, I. This is going to be amazing once it once it's created. Uh, it's just a matter of time now. So here's here's Ole's website, lightonconspiracies.com. Uh, highly recommend, you know, he's got books, got courses. Uh, you're, are you doing any, uh, any, uh, other, other stuff, shows or stuff like that, Ole? Are you kidding me? I'm doing three shows today. No, I mean, as far as like your, your, you were doing like, uh, you know, shows on your site and stuff like that. Okay, okay. Mm. Uh, we st- Kim and I have started doing our sofa talks again. Um, oh, good. Like we had we had during lockdown. Now we started again here. Uh-huh. Kim and my daughter Emily Lou uh, have their own podcast called the Who Knows Podcast. Nice. Beautiful, beautiful one. Mm. And uh, my daughter is a psychic. She has been since she was born, and she started really starting to take off now, doing readings for people all over the world. Oh, nice. And, but yeah, in a in a beautiful way, really like that. She's making them. Um, she's only eighteen, and she's really wow. helping people in a. You know, she, I think she's somewhere between eighteen and eighty-four. You know, it's she is. Uh, I'm learning a lot, and uh, Kim's newsletter is going out every week. Also, awakeandunite.com, awakeandunite.com. So it's full on where we are. And then with this Silalu type of thing, um, so we're doing our utmost, and it's really interesting to see how it's been. Suddenly, it's like pulling together. It's like we put on the magnet, and it's coming out of the woodwork, you know. Nice. So anyone who feels not just interested, but if this deeply resonates in your heart. And you feel that you're one of the ones with small egos and big hearts that would be interested in living full-time, part-time, whatever, or would be in, interested in maybe supporting this in different ways financially would be amazing, uh, then please contact Kim at lightonconspiracies.com. That's plural, lightonconspiracies.com. And uh, she will keep you in the loop and, and show you exactly what is going on. There would be complete transparency of everything, you know. Mm-hmm. We that is, uh, uh, yeah. Excellent. And there you go. All right, putting it out there to the universe. It's gonna gonna get attracted <laughs> in there. Good job. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, great information as always. Uh, look forward to our our next talk uh, about Marilyn Monroe. Wow, that's gonna be that's gonna be amazing. Wow, good good insights. Yeah. Thank you. And uh and and great uh I mean the research you've done and the uh the information that you've been sharing has been uh absolutely amazing. You have lots of books and stuff like that that people can uh tap into and your 
your website has uh, massive amounts of information in there. So 1,100 interviews now. Wow. I think 1,101. <laughs> yeah, that's one, 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 one. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe 11, 11. Yeah, it could be. I bet it is. Probably way more than that, actually. All right, Ole. Thanks so much. Okay, Michael. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a great good. You too. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to Unleashing Intuition Secrets, the podcast. Until next time, stay in the love vibration as you continue your journey to become the master of your reality. Thank you.